Hey, caffeinators. Welcome to the Vet Tech Cafe. The Vet Tech Cafe is a podcast centered around veterinary technicians and nurses, hosted by myself, Dave Cowan, and my good friend, Jeff Backus. We strive to discuss current issues facing our profession and give our colleagues a voice and a medium to enter into these discussions. Our guests are experts in the veterinary field that we hope can help our listeners work towards dealing with these issues, as well as coming up with solutions that can lead to change. If you have a question, comment, or would like to be a guest on the Vet Tech Cafe, please contact us at vettechcafe at gmail.com, or you can find us at our website, vettechcafe.com. One thing we would ask of you, our listeners, is to rate and review us on whatever podcast platform you're listening to. We're not exactly sure how or why this helps us, but apparently it does. So without further ado, come on in, grab yourself a cup of coffee, and get ready for another episode of the Vet Tech Cafe. Hello, caffeinators. Welcome back to another episode of the Vet Tech Cafe, where your favorite table by the window is always available. We'd like to thank all of our caffeinators for their continued support. It's Christmas time, so you can help us out and, and support Veterinary Industry Giving Tree by repping our merchandise. Definitely head over to our website to check out all that. Thank you to all of our Patreons and just all of our caffeinators for continuing to download our episodes and subscribe to all of our channels. We really, really appreciate it. If you're new to the Vet Tech Cafe, uh, welcome. You can head over to vettechcafe.com for all of our info, our bios, kind of who we are and, and why we're doing this. And we're on all of the major platforms, both for podcasts and for social media. So check us out and, and like us and sub- uh, subscribe to us there as well. Dave, how's it going out there? What's on your mind? It's good here. I just got back from Austin. I know we recorded our last episode while I was in mm-hmm. Austin. Um, I got back on Saturday and I've just been taking it easy because it was a it was a busy week. So yeah, taking care of my little honeydew list that I have here at the farm and uh, just taking a, a little bit easy for this week. So um, good. Uh, it's it's nice to be home. It's nice to be not worried about the next thing. I've got yeah. a couple of weeks before I have uh, something big on my radar, work related. So that that's great. How are things going out there? Uh, good. Um, you know, yesterday was Halloween. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So we 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 dressed Daphne up as a ladybug this year. <laughs> um, and and we sat outside for about an hour at our apartment complex, but nobody came by sadly. Uh. uh, so we just have a bunch of candy to eat, which is not a sad thing. But yeah, it's 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 good. It's it's been really hot here the last several days, and it's finally cooled off a little bit today, which is really nice. It, it we don't, maybe we don't want to hear about it feels like fall. I know, I know, <laughs> I know. Uh, but it's actually kind of nice now that, that it was, you know, it's been Halloween and, and, you know, Christmas is my favorite time of the year. And, and now that's for sure on my radar. Yeah. I'm getting pretty excited. I saw my that, first so. Christmas ad on TV yesterday and I was like, really? It's not even know, November I yet. Know. And we're doing ads for that. I know. I know it's your favorite. It's your yeah, favorite, yeah, yeah. but <laughs> Anyway, anyway, well, let's go ahead and get started with today. Yeah. I'm pretty excited for today's episode. We have um, Leslie Boudreaux coming by the Vet Tech Cafe today. Um, she's been a veterinary technologist and practice manager in Southern California for over 30 years. Uh, she earned her AS in veterinary technology from Mount San Antonio College and her BAS in veterinary technology hospital management from St. Petersburg College. In 2011, she became a CVPN. um, That's a certified veterinary practice manager, if you're not familiar. And she holds three human resources certifications, PHR, which is professional human resources, PHRCA, which is a California-specific Variety of that PHR, and then an S. Because California is, is 
needs its own. Because we do all of our own Cause, things. Because you're special. Um, <laughs> yep. And then the SPHR is the Senior Professional in Human Resources. And she's currently working on her MBA in Human wow. Resources Management. Um, she's very active with the Orange County Veterinary Hospital Managers Group and is a founding member and is a past president, just before me, of the CARVTA, uh, California RBT Association. And she's currently the treasurer of the Veterinary Hospital Managers Association, or VHMA. And she's currently a practice manager at an animal hospital of Huntington Beach, an eight veterinarian AHA accredited small animal and exotic general practice with over 50 uh, employees. Leslie, thank you so much for coming by the Vet Tech Cafe today. What can we get you for a cup of coffee? I am a chai tea latte gal. All right. Um, We've had a few of those. The latte part. Yeah. <laughs> the latte part's been on hold quite a bit. So just uh, right now I'm uh, doing the regular chai tea. And uh, that's my morning caffeine. Sometimes, depending on the day, it will extend to the <laughs> yeah. evening. So this depends. So I'm I'm indulging. For sure, right wonderful. Um, well, if you don't mind, I know I mentioned a couple of things there in your bio, but take us through your career path. Kind of what got you into veterinary medicine? Some of your major stops along the way, um, and then we'll jump off from there. Yeah, I realized just this year, and I don't like to count back, and so I'm not asking you to do math. <laughs> but I realized this is my fortieth. 40th year in the profession. And I was a youngster. I'll tell you (laughs) that. So I was a youngster when I started. Uh, I was 15 and a half. So I'm letting you do math. But I actually, uh, in high school, took what was called a regional occupation program, animal care class. And that allowed me to do an internship in a veterinary hospital at the very wee age of 15 and a half. And so I got hired there uh, when I was 16. So at the end of my internship, and haven't looked back. So, of course, I think like many of us that choose this career, we, we do the grunt work. We start out in the kennels. We do whatever needs to happen in practice. I did my share of bathing lots of dogs. And at that time, we did a lot of dips. Oh, yeah, the and, tips. Oh, yeah. <laughs> chemicals, the tips. Yeah. We're so lucky to have good <laughs> yes. products nowadays. Yeah. But we, we did not back then. So started there. And there was this thing called the front desk that nobody wanted to do. Uh, nobody liked it. And so I kind of got pushed in that direction. But of course, I started because I loved animals and uh, wanted to originally be a veterinarian. Happened to work with two great veterinarians. They're both past now, both consider them, you know, mentors in my profession. But one of them was really burned out. And he said to me, hey, don't go down this path. And, and it it wasn't that he discouraged me, but it made me kind of open my eyes and actually see, is is that the part that I want to do? Is that, you know, the surgery and talking to the clients and kind of being the boss, was that what I wanted to do? Or did I actually want to work with the animals? And I said, I want to work with the animals. And not that veterinarians don't work with the animals, right? That's their primary core job, but they didn't do the primary bedside nursing care. And so it kind of pushed me away from being a veterinarian. I in, I'm in the state of California, as Jeff mentioned in my bio. I've, I've done all of my uh, practical work here. But at that time, we were just transitioning. Again, this is going back back a ways. We were transitioning for AHTs, which were animal health technicians, to this newfound title of registered veterinary technicians in California. And I thankfully had a great supportive, again, those two veterinarians were very supportive of the technician profession. It was an AHA accredited practice. And I felt like even 40 years ago, they were kind of on the forefront of wanting to push their staff to a professional career. 
So that was my start. And like, you really can't do anything else but get credentialed. We had, which I think was the most of any hospital near us, we had five AHHTs turned into RVTs at that time. And for a small two doctor practice, that was crazy. But that was just the fact that I had mentors that respected professionals and they wanted professionals in their um, practice. So I knew right away I was going to get my veterinary technology degree, but my path to get there was a little wonky. I thought about human nursing for a while. I liked journalism when I was in, in high school, so didn't really have a direct career path other than I knew I was going to stay working in, in this in the animal hospital. And I did. I did many different things while I worked at the animal hospital and then eventually um, went into technician school. Doing technician school, again, kind of opened my eyes into all of the learning and the education behind what a veterinary technician does. It wasn't just the hands-on practical skills. They were important, but the knowledge behind it was very important. So graduated, became a registered veterinary technician back in 1995, but had been working in the field for over 10 years at that time and was getting kind of pushed towards management. But when I originally started, kind of like veterinary technician profession was very young in California. We began in the 1970s as a profession. Like that was kind of the beginning of um, the professional technician career path at that time. And there wasn't hospital managers at that time. It was usually the owner and the owner's wife because it was generally a male dominated profession at that time. And the owner's wife was usually the office manager, pay the bills and that kind of thing. And I didn't have a representation of what good management looked like because it was a small business. And that was just, you know, how things worked at that time. But early in the 1980s, Veterinary Hospital Managers Association was forming. And I started to see articles in uh, veterinary economics, which was, you know, then our only source of kind of connection to other practices was through journals and magazines. That was how we learned things. The internet wasn't a, quite a thing yet. <laughs> <laughs> so I saw this thing about um, practice managers. I'm like, hey, maybe I could make a career out of this. My family, we were all very business-oriented people. My mother was a vice president in a, a large company. My father had his own business. My sister had her own business. My brother had his own business. And so we were very business people. But I had it bef- kind of before that saw veterinary medicine as having a business career path. So that kind of pushed me again into starting to look at the certified veterinary practice manager as an option. Um, But a little thing happened called three children. And so (laughs) (laughs) I kind of postponed that a little bit. And uh, along, along the way, did a stint working in emergency medicine. I did that for eight years because it worked really well nights, evenings, weekends around my children's schedule and my husband's work schedule. I really enjoyed my emergency time. But then I knew that at a certain point when the kids got to a point, I was going to go back into practice management. And I did that and then was able to get my certification in 2012. So no, 2011. So it just hit 11 11 years this year. Uh, In fact, just in, in October. So that's kind of been my career path. But I'm I'm still consider myself a veterinary technician at heart. I am very active in anything related to veterinary technician issues. Although I don't think I had a direct straight career path, I feel that my career path got me to where I wanted in the end and I'm I'm very happy with where I'm at now. 
could have done it quicker, but <laughs> life, life throws those little curveballs. Right. Out. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, you mentioned in there, you know, going back kind of towards the, the beginning of your career, how one of the mentor veterinarians kind of talked to you about burnout. And that's something obviously very rampant today, or we talk a lot about today, but I feel like probably back then that wasn't like was it actually the term burnout or was it just, you know, kind of relaying to you that he was tired and, and wanted to do something like, what did that look like then? I'm very curious about that. Cause I feel like that's probably one of the earliest examples we have of, of somebody experiencing burnout or at least talking about it. Yeah. And he would have described himself as burnt out. Like he, really? he definitely okay. used those terms, but I think burnout in a different way than I think we look at right now. Um, because of what's going on in the profession. But for him, he was a super smart guy and he had a lot of interest. And being a business owner, I think, was just kind of weighing on him where he wanted to explore other opportunities. And he did end up doing that. He, um, his name was Art Bass. And um, he actually went into, he was one of, he wrote programming for a lot of early veterinary softwares. Mm -hmm. And he, he, he did a lot in this in this profession outside of being a practicing veterinarian, um, and then later on came back and opened his own practice again. <laughs> but uh, you know, he he was definitely at the time that I worked for him, kind of in transition, and it it made me realize that there was you know the, a lot of pressures that he was facing as a veterinarian and a business owner, and that there was opportunities within the profession. That And it helped him. It really helped him to started to seek his interest in other areas um, and give himself a little bit of a break of, about what he was doing. But he was burnt out to some extent. Gotcha. And, you know, as as a uh, what we like to call vintage tech <laughs> guys, you can buy a vintage tech T-shirt on <laughs> vettechcafe.com slash merch. <laughs> If you are a vintage tech, what's the, what's the cutoff? What is it? 25 years? I'd say that's probably fair. Um, so as a, as a vintage tech, um, you know, seeing how the profession has grown over the last 30 years, where do you see us now? And what are some of the greatest things that you've seen as we've grown as a profession that have, have kind of changed the game for us? I love that. It it doesn't matter what the, the veterinary news source is, but you were seeing technician issues like forefront. I was uh, just asked just a few weeks ago to sit on um, the American Animal Hospital Association or AHA is going to be coming up with guidelines for veterinary technician utilization, and they're going to come out in 2023. And I was asked to represent the VHMA on the task force that's kind of forming uh, this kind of right after this, the fall. So winter kind of into the early 2023 and we'll be producing guidelines that should be industry wide on how do you utilize your technicians. And this kind of appeared right before COVID because I was on the AVMA task force for veterinary technician utilization. And it was, that was 2019, right, right before COVID, very much a hot topic issue. And then COVID hit and kind of there was, kind of got pushed to the back burner. But I love that technicians are so present because it was kind of a hidden career and a career that was, oh, well, you, you know, maybe didn't have enough good grades to get into veterinary school. So, you know, well, you can be a technician or it, it, it was it was never looked at a professional level. And, you know, I'm not saying that that's gone away. There, there is still, there's still challenges and issues. And I feel like we have a ways to go before 
we grow to the level of the human nursing profession um, and that type of power that they have over their own licensure and their own job tasks and things, we, we are still well away from that. But I see so much growth in my 40 years in this profession that I think people that get in it now, they just don't, you know, again, every newbie is going to, um, you know, think that the profession started when they entered it in, when they entered in. But there's been a lot of growth in that short 40 years. And there was growth before I entered. And it's just slow because we're such a baby profession. Like we're it's not even 100 years old. And so we do have a ways to go. But I love that it's being talked about. Like this is Vet Tech Week. I have uh, 12 credential technicians at my practice and we celebrate them and their assistants and just, you know, we, we do the week right. But I told them early on in the week, I said, I am so excited because I really feel like everybody's talking about it. I saw a shout out from over probably 50 organizations through social media and emails about, you know, thank your vet tech. This is what this is what vet techs do. And I, I love just the chatter and the continued discussion that brings everybody forward because there's so many issues that need to be addressed. And my time on the um, AVMA task force kind of really honed that in personally for me that it is almost can be an overwhelming issue, but you just have to keep plugging along. And I love seeing how much emphasis there are on things that are happening for veterinary technicians. Is the AVMA task force and the AHA task force, are they related? Because I remember we spoke with, Jeff, we spoke with Ed Carlson, gosh, two years ago, and he was on the, I believe yeah. he was on the AVMA utilization task force. So are those two things related? So the AVMA utilization task force started in early 2019. And I was on there with Ed as well. Oh, okay. Um, Ed is currently, they made it after the task force kind of dissolved because our mission was to create a recommendations to the AVMA House of Delegates. And that was actually given to them in January 2020 through a very long report. <laughs> of course. <laughs> the report wasn't published and it still has not been republished, but kind of an overview and an outline of our findings is available on JAVMA. And it's open source information there. And basically, we highlighted, I believe, eight different areas that needed to have significant work done to affect positive utilization. And that they were all kind of interconnected. And so one didn't live separately from the others, but they all kind of needed to be addressed to um, affect utilization in a positive, positive way. But we also looked at historical utilization. So we did a lot of fact finding in that. The AHA task force is something that was just created um, within the last six months, and the you know, people have been are being put into place on the task force, and then the task force gets started in a um, like within the next month. But that's to come up with guidelines. So AVMA again, I can give them an excuse that COVID kind of took precedent, but they kind of shelved everything related to our report and our findings other than they did create a standing task force that Ed did continue to be on. And um, I talked to Ed recently, I talked to him just a month or so ago, and he said that the only thing that they've done on the standing committee was do a lot of surveying and research, but that hasn't really gone forward there. Like, and that was one aspect of our findings, 
And of course, I'm still under confidentiality about the whole task force. So other than the published stuff, I'm not supposed to talk about the findings. Sure. But I can talk about what was published. But what Ed Ed's shared was basically that they're doing research. And that was part of the issues we found that there was flawed research because of titles. So when the AVMA did past previous um, research on veterinary technicians, they just were all clumped together. So it could have been an on-the-job trained person. It could have been a vet assistant. And it didn't differentiate credentialed technicians from anybody in the practice that somebody was calling a vet tech. So I think that was one of the reasons they were trying to create new new research guidelines and new, you know, kind of really wordsmithing how these these surveys go out to veterinarians to to kind of focus on how do we differentiate in these surveys a credentialed technician from what somebody is calling a technician in their practice. Interesting. That's I'm glad that they're finally at least trying to clarify that yeah. if, if that's what was if that's what was occurring because that was what that would for sure skew the results absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So I mentioned in your um, in your bio you are a veterinary technologist or what is referred to as an RVTG. What what is that? What is that difference? Is that a California only thing? What what is what what does that look like for those that may not know? Interestingly, it did start in California, but I'm seeing it across the country now. So when I became a you know a veterinary technician and, and got my AS degree, which is equivalent to like a registered nursing or two year or two and a half three year degree, there really wasn't any bachelor's program um, back at that time. Um, even though that was something I knew I was going to get a bachelor's degree and I would have liked it in veterinary technology, but it just didn't exist. They were being developed, but it didn't exist. So since my time, programs have developed that are now four-year. Purdue has a wonderful program in my area. Cal Poly Pomona has a wonderful four-year bachelor's in veterinary technology degree. So in licensure, there is no difference between an RVT that graduated from a two-year program or a four-year program. And, and again, I'm going to use the term RVT because that's what's in California, but a CVT or LVT. There's no difference how what type of schooling that you took and how many years that took. And in, even in some areas, there's grandfathering and there's alternate routes. So you can't tell if somebody holds that license, uh, what type of educational background they had necessarily. So um, somebody in Cal Poly Pomona, one of the um, technician professors, decided that she was going to add that little G to her students' names because they were getting a four-year bachelor's degree. And there is a definition that AVMA and NAFTA have said that if you do graduate from a four-year program, you are graduating as a technologist. And so that G part of technologist is what... has been put on the end of the RVT to say, kind of like a bachelor's of science in nursing. Sure. So those people that hold that four-year degree in like the human nursing profession um, have a differentiation than just somebody who's an RN. So people know what a BSN is, but the license is still the same. Gotcha. So that's what the the G is. So it's just a kind of a shout out to the fact that you have a couple extra years of education as a veterinary technician in a veterinary technician specific program. So not in sociology or math or even management, it's specifically in a veterinary technology program. Okay. Gotcha. Um, So from your position, what do you see as the biggest obstacle for us as technicians 
and how are we going to fix it? And when I say we, I mean the three of us right now. How are we going to fix it? <laughs> <laughs> Get yeah, your magic so, wand ready. Yeah. It's yeah. a magic wand question. <laughs> and I spent almost a year hashing this out um, you know, on the AVMA task force. And it is not a one thing fix fix all um, solution or we would have done it by now, right? <laughs> it is definitely a combination of things. And what I see the biggest problem is the bleed, the, the loss of our good people out of the profession. I feel like that's the part that we've got to retain people in the profession because we're losing some of the brightest and the best out of the profession. And it, it has definitely been proven that on average, it is a five to seven year career because people get pulled out of it for, you know, economic reasons, for utilization reasons. And that part, we've got to stop, kind of cut that off. And if we can kind of figure out some quick wins on how to do that, whether it's wages or benefits or utilization, that's what we have to, you know, be talking about. Gotcha. Um, and I know we're going to spend a, a good bulk of the the rest of the time here, kind of talking about management and, and going from, say, like a, a, you know, RBT kind of on the floor position more into a management position or, or some of those different dynamics. When you went through that process in getting your CVPM, can you describe that what that looks like a little bit? Because I don't think, I mean and correct me if I'm wrong, it's, it doesn't sound like it's, you know, like a, a classroom type of program, probably a lot of self-study, maybe taking a lot of different courses. But for somebody that might be looking to get their CVPM, what, what does that kind of process look like? Yeah. And there's obviously great information on the VHMA website. There's, you know, pre-recorded webinars on how to, how to do it. What are the um, steps to take? But in a nutshell, I looked at it as, hey, if my you know, my time now as a, as you know, I'm an RBT, but my, this is my VTS. This is my veterinary technician specialty. I'm specializing in management and I'm going to be, to be the best manager that I can be. I need to get certified, right? I need to go through that process and not only prove to myself, but prove to any potential employer and just in the industry, what my knowledge level is. So that was kind of my emphasis for taking the CVPM. And I knew that that's what I was going to do. And so I, I wanted to be at the top of my game on that. So there is an educational component, um, but it is not like go to this program and get your CVPM all in kind of one nutshell. Although that's what I did. St. Petersburg <laughs> College in Florida at the time that I uh, entered in there, they had one of the only certificate programs to become a CVPM for RVTs. So it was very specific to RVTs. You had to be credentialed technician. And then you could take these um, you know, upper level college classes that use the same textbooks that the CVPM required as reading material. And you were taking the classes in marketing and in human resources and in ethics and in law and in finance. And you fulfilled all of the requirements that the VHMA has for those specific topics. And so I'm not up to date on the exact number of hours, but I believe it's 18 credit units. So that would potentially be like six college level courses in these specific areas. So you could have had a business degree potentially and got a lot of that, you know, the, those classes already under your belt, but the VHMA does kind of review transcripts and they decide if those courses that you may have taken previously meet that 
Um, but I did it at St. Petersburg College, which is where I ended up getting my bachelor's in veterinary technology because it was a very specific veterinary technology program that had a track for CVPM, basically. So I did take I did take uh, medical classes as part of that bachelor's degree program. I had extra college level pharmacology and nutrition, and I had other courses that I took, but also supervision and, and management related specific to the veterinary industry. But if you want to be a CVPM, you don't have to take the St. Petersburg College route. You can look and see what WHMA is requiring, and um, you may just you know go to a junior college or another college and find that those courses to take. You're just going to have to piecemeal it if you don't use a program. So that's one component. So there is an educational component of it. You do have to have written letters of recommendation from different people in the industry. So at different types of, um, it's not your coworkers or things, and it's not just your boss, but it has to be other people in the industry that recommend you. And then there is a lot of continuing education that you have to take 48 hours in a two-year period. So it's 24 hours a year, which in many states, that's more than a veterinarian takes. There's a very significant application. And then the final component, which is one of the hardest things for most people who want to become a CBPM is the task list. So there's a uh, list and I think it's 36 items, if I recall from memory. But you have to have done, I think, 33 of the 36, or it might be 27 of the 30, I don't remember. But there's only like three areas that you can say you didn't have any involvement or knowledge. And it's really widespread. So it might be developing a kind of a, a euthanasia protocol for a practice, or there's all sorts of areas that you have to have had some involvement in, either being leader um, of that area or directly doing those tasks. So the task list throws a lot of people out of the running because maybe they don't have anything to do with finance or accounts receivable or accounts payable or things like that. So um, ultimately, all of that comes down to then taking a certifying exam. And one of the things, and I just want to make this emphasis because there are some, there are some CE programs right now that use the term certification in their CE course, but there is actually designated guidelines for what credentialing looks like. And there is an organization, I believe the acronym is NERCA, and they say that this is what you have to be to be accredited to give a certification. And the VHMA has always had their program um, credentialed by NOCA, and they have to get recertified. There is a very comprehensive test that you have to pass, and the pass rate is pretty similar to the, the VT&E. It averages, I think, between like 60 to 70 percent, which is a pretty common um, pass rate for that type of credentialing. And that is going to be different than some of these CE programs that say you're a something, something certified or you're something credential. Uh, this is a true credentialing program like becoming a credentialed technician. There's an educational component, ongoing CE, ongoing certification and an ethical component. So you can lose your credentialing if there's an ethical violation. So. Hmm. A little bit different than taking a CE program and calling yourself certified in something. For sure. Yeah. Do we have any any good data or numbers on how many CVPMs there are out there? I'm just curious. I know it's kind of, 
I, I've certainly heard more and more of it and seen more and more people have it listed on their credentials. I'm just curious. Do we have any idea? Yes. In fact, I was just at the VHMA annual meeting in September and they announced we just hit a thousand. So we just wow. crossed over. That is way more than I thought. Yeah, That's me so too. Awesome. Yeah. Um, That's when awesome. I, I think I was number, I was 430 or something. So I was just, I just, they just crossed over to 400 when I took the test 11 years ago. Well, so I didn't, I did not realize not there was that many. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's great. I know VTS is an ECC. We're at like 540 or something like Five, that. And that's like, yeah. by and large, greater than any other VTS Academy. But I, d- I did not realize yeah. you guys would be at 1,000. Wow. That's amazing. That's, that's, that's awesome. Great. Um, so before we get too far into our discussion, we're, we're about halfway through, actually probably a little further than halfway through. Why don't we take our little ad break here? We'll pay some bills and we'll be right back after the break. The Vet Tech Cafe is sponsored by BetterHelp. BetterHelp Online Therapy will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist and you can start communicating in under 48 hours. It's not a crisis line and it's not self-help. It's professional therapy done securely online that's more affordable than traditional in-person therapy and financial aid is available. Caffeinators receive 10% off the first month using BetterHelp.com slash VetTechCafe. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, to join the over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your therapist, and you'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy. Don't take our word for it. Visit their website and read their testimonials that are posted daily at betterhelp.com reviews. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash reviews. If you want to take charge of your mental health, visit BetterHelp.com slash VetTechCafe and get started today and get 10% off your first month. Be well, caffeinators. All right, everybody, welcome back to the VetTechCafe. Please see our website for yoga, Pilates, and Krav Maga classes. Uh, Jeff will be teaching <laughs> all of those uh, every Sunday morning. So uh, make sure you sign up soon because the the... The spots are going quick. Um, yes, yes. So, Leslie, we just had our ad for BetterHelp because uh, we really focus a lot on mental health uh, on our on our podcast. So how do you manage your own mental health? Are you, do you have any challenges? Um, do you have good uh, coping mechanisms to, to kind of get yourself in the right headspace? That's a wonderful question because I have never struggled with any sort of like burnout. Like I'll have days, right? We all have those days that you get home and you're like, why do we do this? What happened that day? Um, but I have a kind of a resili- resiliency in me and not to say that I couldn't hit a tipping point. I always worry about that. Like, what's my tipping point? Like, is there a tipping point? Can I continue to be as resilient as I am? But I've always had the ability in, in my life to kind of let go of things. And I do that through reading for pleasure. And that kind of just whoo, clears the mind. And that's been my kind of release. Like, I cannot go to sleep, especially if I'm if I've had a troubling day without reading at least, I don't know, 10 minutes. And that the reading has always been kind of my reset button because it takes you to a different space in your head. You're in a completely different environment and somebody else's life and not your own. So I have, I've definitely, um, you know, gone through periods of like, I'm tired, I need a break, I got to take some time off. But I can bounce back pretty easily. But I recognize that there could be trauma or, you know, some something tragic, right? Um, I just had had some 
a friend that experienced something really tragic um, in her family. And it just makes you think that, God, if that happened to me, like, how would I bounce back from that? And, you know, you just, you just don't know. So I've always felt that we do have to kind of protect each other and have those open conversations and just check-ins with people. And that's always been my motto, especially when I, I deal with difficult clients a lot. Um, in fact, right before coming on to the uh, podcast today, I had a difficult client on the phone and it didn't go well. I always have put myself into the place of, I don't know what's going on in their life. Like they could have had their you know pet die or their uncle's got cancer or you know they, some sort of bad thing happened. And I, I tend to give people the benefit of the doubt, at least initially just because we just don't know. And, and we have to be respectful for that. Everyone's entitled to the bad day or the bad moment. But I think that the fact that we're talking about it is such a good thing, because although I haven't been specifically and individually affected by suicide or loss of life, I did early on in my career have somebody that died under suspicious circumstances at a practice that I was at. And we always kind of wondered whether it was it suicide, what, you know, we, we didn't know what happened. And this, this was quite a long time ago. The autopsy wasn't conclusive, but I still felt it like it was a tragedy and that it was a suicide. And I'm like, what if I just talked to her? What if I had had a conversation with her the day before? Would that have helped? We all kind of second guess that. Feelings are always at a really high level. And there's, I call it kind of like the hot button. We could all get there really quickly and push that hot button because we're under a lot of stress and we're trying to save lives and, and we're making life and death decisions. And so that definitely puts people in a, in a place that we wouldn't be if we were sitting on a beach, right. And um, under an umbrella. If only, right. So, if only, right. <laughs> that's, that's what the day looked like. Yeah. So I, I think it's super important that we're talking about it. And I like that it makes me more cognizant of my staff in that, I just want to continually have those check-ins with them and make sure, because you just can't look at somebody and know what's going on in their life. And, and sometimes I've had those conversations and I'm like, oh boy, I opened up that can of worms, but that was probably a good thing because, you know, they were, they were able to, you know, release and, you know, have somebody hear them. Um, I'm also thankful for the ad, that kind of the advent and the use of um, employee assistant programs that was not available to me as a young manager. I was trying to be counselor and psychologist and, and things, and that was certainly not my wheelhouse. And having that ability now for my supervisors when they're having uh, conversations with their staff and for me with my supervisors and, and with my staff to at least say, hey, I can I have access to some professional help for you. That's at no charge. It's totally confidential. Take advantage of it. And a couple years ago, I got feedback from one of my employees that was just it made me so excited because she gave me the feedback that she used it and it was so helpful and that she was in a bad place. And, and that really helped her. And I'm like, that's something that we put into place because of of talking about mental health and talking about burnout and, and knowing that we were not the ones who had all the answers, but that there was somebody that could help them and that we have. Yeah. To. 
give that to the people that we work with. Yeah, so. absolutely. And, and think about like 10, 15 years ago, you know, all of us were in the profession 10, 15 years ago, mental health was was not talked about. It just it just wasn't. Mm -hmm. And now I would say in the last, what, five, six, maybe seven years, it, it's become much more out in the open and much more comfortable to talk about these things. And I think if we just look at suicide, it starts to happen more frequently, even though we're we're doing all these things, I think we're just now more aware of it and aware that it's happening. And, you know, we're all left going, like you said, Leslie, what if I just talked to that person and had maybe a five minute conversation to let them vent vent about something? Maybe that would have changed things. But again, we don't know everything that's going on unless they unless they tell us. So the company that I work for, we do a lot of relief in Jeff, I was telling you, we we had uh one of our accounts, um, the lead doctor uh, took her life last last weekend. So, you know, even as a, a relief company going in, we're we're kind of struggling with the people that that we're sending into that practice to try and deal with that. It's tough, and and it's great that you're you're able to <laughs> help out your team, and and you've got your reading that that's going to help out. Me personally, like Robin always tells me, you don't read anything. I'm like, I read, and she's textbooks. Veterinary <laughs> textbooks do not count as reading. Um, and I think about my dad as you know, when he was working himself like crazy when I was younger, I never saw him read. But in the late stages of his life, like once he hit 65, 70, he read all the time. And I feel like that's probably what I'm going to do eventually is once, I, once I'm <laughs> retired, uh, if I actually do retire, I'll, I'll be just like my dad and just read, read and read and read and read. Um, but right now, I just I just don't have time for it. <laughs> catch catch up on lost yeah, time. Exactly. Um, Leslie, you know, we I think Dave and I probably, well, Dave more so than I do, but I, you know, just from the guests that we talked about, I feel like we have a pretty good idea of, of what clinic life is like for RBTs right now and, and, and many of those struggles. I'm curious what clinic life is for managers right now because um, I, I, I feel like that's probably just one big fire that, that you have amongst many others now that, I mean, we are at least mostly, I guess, kind of through COVID and not having that so much to worry about anymore, but you know, with everything that's going on, what's, what's clinic life for managers right now? Well, I mean, I think like everybody in practice, managers have faced their share of challenges pre COVID and, and definitely COVID was a turning point. And I think the biggest turning point for, for me and my manager colleagues was the fact that we had to learn to pivot so quickly. And it was just one law and regulation and change and and you're being hit from multiple agencies you know well especially here in california when we've got conflicting agencies telling us we've got the federal law and state law and even local law kind of popped up during COVID and counties and uh, we had some staff in one county that had different regulations than what we had in our um, county so we just had to continually be rolling with the changes and change in general, like change is just difficult for anybody in any circumstances, but the amount of changes that we had, there was definitely a lot of managers that didn't make it through COVID from a professional standpoint, like they were over it. They were, you know, not only you have the client kind of angst and, and problems with, you know, coming down on the people in practice, which generally fell on management shoulders. You had employees with the stress and obviously the veterinarians. And industry stress as well, because there's a lot of things happening in the industry that affected our ability to, to practice and get supplies and, and things. And then we had, you know, staff, why don't we have the supplies? And 
you know, just getting thrown with a lot of kind of competing problems, competing for our mental space and our time. Uh, early on in COVID, I think I worked three weeks straight without a day off just because Oof. it was just, you know, covering for people being out and just all of the things that were kind of happening. I just had to be here for the staff to see that, okay, we're going to get through this and, and things are going to be fine. Little did we know that we would be still in a semi crazy place, you know, a few years later. Uh, but I think for managers, we're sometimes, and again, it depends on what area you are in, in management. If you're middle management or supervisor position, or you have, you're in a large corporation where you might have upper management above you, practice ownership, you've got the doctors and, and the veterinarians all kind of look at management in different ways. Some of them, you know, feel like management is staff and not doesn't have any say so over how they practice as far as you know they're they're kind of outside of the management loop which is not necessarily the case but yeah it's been a really it's real challenge and and i you know jeff mentioned that part of the orange veterinary managers group we have two groups the south county and the north county and there's lots lots of managers have have said bye-bye to this profession, you know, let's, let's go. Uh, <laughs> and and for, the, for many of the same reasons, just difficult clients, just challenges, um, potentially low pay and, and other things like that. So management is not up on a pedestal. It, it's not immune to what's been going on. I think that in my particular position, because um, I have a single owner and myself, and we are a management team together, I have a lot of, um, you know, potential and, and power, I guess I, it would be a, a fine word to use, but more so control over what happens in the practice. And that allows me flexibility and the ability to one-off affect um, change quickly, where there's a lot of managers that are kind of, you know, chained to some sort of a corporation where they've got all these layers that they have to go through and they can't make quick change when quick change is needed. So that's, very stressful because they're struggling with trying to help their team, but yet they're um, handcuffed and unable to do the things that they feel like they need to do to, to make practice good for their staff. Yeah. The other thing that we, we, we wanted to ask you, and you know, this is something that I see a lot when I work in practice is that managers take a lot of heat for not fixing things, you know, like wages, staffing, th things that, that seem to fall on the manager's head. And a lot of times that's it's not fair to criticize you for or, or criticize management staff for if I if I think about staffing, if you don't have the people to work the shifts, you don't have the people to work the shifts. It's just as clear, clear and simple. But let, let's talk a little bit about the CVPM and RVT relationship and how can we increase the value of RVTs and also increase that relationship to to where you kind of work as a cohesive unit? A lot of things in that in that question. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so... We got time. As long as you have time. <laughs> I have I have the time. I'm right now my, my mind space is I'm on the beach under the Love it. I love it. <laughs> With the waves. Yes, yes. I am in Huntington Beach, by the way, but I, I can't I can't see the uh the beach outside of my office door. So yeah, managers are in a hard position because we often can't even explain or tell a staff member what we are trying to do to fix the problem because of, you know, some sort of confidentiality. It just could kind of go down 
the wrong path of information. You know, we can't share things that are specific to, you know, individual staff members. And, uh, you know, it, it is, it's always a struggle for my supervisors as well, because the, uh, somebody may come with a complaint to the staff or to the supervisor or the manager, and it might be about a particular individual or situation. But we can't say, yeah, that person's been written up three times. We're there on the way out because, you know, we're we've we've been doing the progressive disciplinary process with them. But all they see is nothing's happened and they don't see all of the back work that's going on, um, be, especially again. I'm you know, I'm fortunate to call out California. We have to be very compliant with following steps to do any sort of discipline um, because of how litigious of a state that we're in. So we can't always share. Uh, and so that means that a lot of times it's looked like that management is not responsive. But having those conversations, I would say, don't be afraid to, you know, schedule a, a check-in with your manager or supervisor, because often once you do that, it relieves, you know, what we can share. Hey, we're working on it. Yes. Thank you. You're the third person that's come to us about this. This is in process. You know, you might not see anything, any progress on this, you know, this week, but, you know, something may be happening without spreading gossip or rumors. It's always the challenge, right? To say we're doing something, but we can't tell you what we're doing. So it, it, that is always the struggle. But as far as kind of RBT CVPM, I talk about this a lot. I do speak on this subject and I am a constant voice of calling out managers for not treating their technicians in a professional manner and always want to elevate the profession. And I know that I can impact that by having that conversation with other managers, because it does start at a managerial upper leadership level of your practice culture. And I'll have managers tell me, I can't get RBTs. And I said, but what is that? What is it? What does your culture look like? How is the RBT utilized in your practice? Who are the people that you're hiring? If your supervisor is not a credential technician, what credential technician is going to want to come work for you? Because you're already showing that there's a lack of respect for the credentialing that you have a veterinary assistant potentially in place in leadership to manage your credential technician. If you want to walk the walk, you kind of have to talk the talk. You've got to show I mean, both ways, it goes back and forth. So you can't just say that you want to technicians if you're not actually your, your culture of your practice and that managers do have that ability in most cases, not all. Some managers are, you know, a little bit cut off at the knee with, with what they can and can't do. But most of the time, they can create an environment of better utilization, just even title protection. Like, what are you calling all of the people in your in your building? Now, California, we do have title protection and we've had it since 2011. That doesn't mean that it's still in place in every practice. And there's a lot of practices where they've never even heard of title protection. I can tell you the example. I have multiple examples. I just I've been interviewing last week and people I get all these these applications that say I'm a veterinary technician. And kind of my first conversation is, you know, I've looked through your resume. I don't see where you went to tech school or your license on here. Huh. And, you know, and I'm telling them right away, that's important to me. I'm looking for a credentialed technician. What do your job ads look like? If you say, I'll take anybody, 
you know, if you're not saying that you're looking for a credentialed person, like the manager has to show respect for their credentialed technicians in every aspect that they can control, if that's the kind of practice that you want to have. And so I'm kind of loud and, and obnoxious about <laughs> this. And my other manager friends will say, okay, that Leslie's going to, you know, get on you about, uh, I mean, they're, they're so good that they, they won't even um, use the term, you know, vet tech willy nilly anymore. Like they know so <laughs> RVT or vet assistant because I'm going to get on them. And, and somebody has to be that voice, right? Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm appreciative that that's yeah. your soapbox. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> I, and, and it is. And, and I feel like, that is a part that uh, managers can can change what happens within their practice just by implementing the respect. Like you're not going to call, you know, Joe Schmo off the street a, a doctor, and why would you be calling, you know, Joe Schmo, Joe Schmo off the street a technician? Again, I respect. I have a gal who's worked for me for 36 years and has a lot of skills that are technician skills. But we don't refer to her as an RVT or a veterinary technician. She has a specific title that's like operations assistant. But we respect her. She is well paid. She's well, you know, taken care of in our practice. But she can't be the supervisor of my RVTs. Like she is a um, very experienced um, veterinary assistant. But I have utmost respect for her longevity, her her loyalty to the hospital and all of the things that she can do. And our doctors utilize her quite a bit, but our RBTs are in a different role. And so she can't fill that role without being credentialed. And she's chosen not to be. And we offered to get her credentialed, but she didn't want to. So yeah, nothing wrong with that. It's her choice. Yeah, nothing absolutely. 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 You know, for, for an RBT that's maybe got an eye towards management and, and wants to kind of take that path. You mentioned going to the VHMA website. Uh, one question I would have is, is what should they look for from their clinic? I, we had, when we talked to Ed Carlson previously, we talked about his kind of transition into management and, and how ultimately it wasn't for him. We talked a lot about the idea of, you know, the RBT and the practice getting promoted to manager because they're just the most senior person there and, and whether they actually want that role or not, or whether they're pro- receive any proper training or, or any of that. So for somebody that, that actually wants to, to go down this path, what should they look for for their clinic? What should they ask their clinic for in terms of help, support, those kinds of things? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a great book, and I think you've interviewed... Um... <laughs> Oops, I became a man. Yes, right? yes. Okay. Um, Coming attractions. She'll be yes. back on the Vet Tech Cafe before <laughs> <Yeah>. long. <laughs> and, and I so respect the fact that, you know, that's a career path. Like, and believe me, that was kind of how I got pushed into this career path was, you know, nobody wanted to talk to the clients. Nobody wanted to be up at the front desk. Nobody wanted to take on who was going to fix the printer and, you know, all of those things kind of pushes you towards taking a leadership role. However, times really have changed. In, and just like technicians need to be credentialed and professional, uh, management has to be professional as well. And they have to not just be the person who you know fixes the printer. There is so much human resource law, um, you know, hence one of the reasons why I'm continuing my kind of educational path. Um, I've always been a lifelong learner and I've never too much changes, right? I mean, it literally 
in your lifetime how much change there is. So I continue to learn. But you, you do have to realize that you can't be a manager. You don't know what you don't know until you're in a position to find out that you didn't know it. So you do have to, if, if management is what you think is a career path, and I do think RBTs can make excellent practice managers. A little pat on my back. But I, I, have a, I, have a lot of, I have a lot of friends who are RBTs and practice managers who, who have started in that role. And we do have the kind of unique ability to be able to assess medical care that's happening, not dictate to the doctors what they're doing, but know when there's like protocols that, that need to be implemented and be able to assess the medical care in the practice because we are a part of the, we've been a part of the medical team and we have medical knowledge. So that I think is very helpful. Um, I've, I've seen other managers that have no medical training and they're very successful managers as well but they lack some of the ability to assess things like medical records and have that kind of conversation with a client that might be benefited by having a little bit of, you know, technical knowledge to kind of explain a situation and, and solve a problem and to better relate to their medical team because you've walked in their shoes. You, you know, you, you can empathize and relate to what they're going through. So I think in that respect, that's a good a good reason why RBTs can can be good managers. But it is very, there's a lot of training. And in fact, what I see coming for managers in the next few years is specialization. So like you might be the marketing manager or the HR manager, um, mm, you know, or the, the medical manager, because there is so much information that you have to learn in these areas that we're going to see more specialization. I've already seen like you know, social media managers, which used to be like a management task. And there's definitely, I'm, I'm an HR department of one for my 60, you know, staff. <laughs> and that's going to be untainable, you know, real soon. I mean, as, as we continue to grow, it's already, it's already stretching me and my leadership team to kind of the, the limit. And so I see just like, VTSs are going to be more utilized. I think managers specializing in particular areas, um, but that comes with an educational component, whether it's, you know, CE, college, you do need to have some information to do your job properly. For sure. Well, Leslie, as we get towards our, well, actually we're beyond our hour now. Um, <laughs> is there anything that we have not asked you today that you want to get out to our caffeinators, to our listeners that, that we've missed so far? Um, I would just say that, you know, you can't take the, you can't take the RVT out of, out of this manager. And I still, um, I, I definitely consider myself an RVT at heart. And although I don't get, I sometimes get to pet a cute puppy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I have really tried to make sure that my staff know just from starting at this practice, like I have those skills and I can, you know, get back on the bike and do them, but that is not my role in the, in the hospital. And I want you who, who have the day to day skills and can do, you know, spin circles around me, um, that's your job. And I'm not here to do your job. I'm here to make sure that you can do your job by keeping the practice solvent, keeping the lights on, making sure that, um, you know, there's profits to give people bonuses and raises and equipment. 
but it shouldn't be an adversarial relationship between the technicians and their managers. It just needs communication, which kind of communication is kind of the root of all issues and problems. If you're, I see a lot on social media, people having issues, problems with their managers and, you know, it's, there's, there's all sorts of uh, kind of rallying calls to that, but have a conversation, you know, schedule a check-in or a one-on-one and kind of hear it from the other side. Cause we always look through our own perspective and we don't always see what kind of pressures is going on um, from management aspect. Excellent. I'm always happy to, to have those chats with my staff and feel like we continue to have good relationships because we communicate a lot. For sure. That's awesome. Um, is there a guest or a topic that you think would be a good fit for us to interview on the Bet Tech Cafe or something you would like to hear about or hear from? Well, podcasts are kind of my, um, it's, it's funny, my dog walking time. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, my, my walk is usually like 40 minutes to an hour, depending on the day of the week, sometimes 30 minutes if I'm Russian. But that's when I like to listen to podcasts. And I feel like you guys have interviewed such great, you know, representation to our profession. But one of the things I'd like to see and hear is what's going on in other countries. Like, yeah. um, and I and I think you have uh, had a, a guest not not from the U.S., but it, I think it's really interesting about what a veterinary technician profession look like outside of yeah. the U.S. So. Yeah, we've we've worked on that from a few different angles, and what we keep running into, and we just need to figure out logistically how to coordinate it is, is language barrier. Um, and, and that's, that's all, you know, we've talked to people from Eastern Europe, from Asia, and, and it's just, I I think from, from their side, they just have been worried about being able to carry on the conversation and, and what have you. And, and we just need to continue to, to work to find people, but that's for sure something we're very interested in. So hopefully we can, we can do more of that in the future. Cause I, I love that idea too. What's, What's going on, on on a global stage is is really really fascinating. International so. listeners, email us. Yes, get yourself on our show. Yes. We want to talk yes. to you. Yes, please. We would love to have yes. that conversation. So, well, and hat, hats off to um, also and and Jeff, you know this, um, you know very kind of intimately. But I feel like also talking to the people that are in state technician associations, because it's such a lonely position (laughs) and you don't hear enough from the people that you're representing. And even the states that are trying to get technician associations implemented, I feel like the more we talk about, you know, as as a manager, I'm part of my, um, you know, manager's association. Like I challenge every technician to be part of their state and national association because uh, obviously our voice is stronger when we, um, you know, we're together. So just talking to people who are facing those challenges and associations, yeah. uh, because it, it is, can be a struggle. For sure. All right, Leslie, it's time for your, would you rather question? Are you ready for it? Sure. Okay. Um, we've, we've switched to, I think this was with Liz that we decided to make this switch. Uh, we give you the option to pick door number one, door number two, or door number three for your question. I want door number two. Door number two. Would you ne- Would you rather never be able to sleep again or never be able to eat again? And caveat is you have no negative side effects from either. Um, you just would not be able to do these things. Oh, I, I can... I can give up eating, but I can't give up sleeping. <laughs> I'm a sloth. I, I love sleep. I, I would 
be in the same boat. I I need the sleep yeah, for yeah. sure. <laughs> I could I could easily skip a meal, but sleeping I I cannot I cannot I cannot skip it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's yeah, my reason. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, Leslie, thank you so much for the time and, and coming by the Bet Tech Cafe to talk to us about all this today. We really, really appreciate it. I know you're you're working today and it's gonna be a busy day. So thank you so much. We really, really do appreciate the time and uh, it was great to catch up with you again. I haven't seen you for a while. <laughs> it's great to see you. And Dave, um, I just wanted, to, this is our first time talking yeah. and, and meeting and it was wonderful. Thank you guys so much for having me, inviting me on to the Vet Tech Cafe. And I'm definitely a caffeinator. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. Awesome. All right. Well, caffeinators, you guys take care and uh, thanks for tuning in. We'll talk to you again soon. Bye guys. Hello, caffeinators. We wanted to thank Dog Days Consulting for managing our social media and helping with the interior design here at the Vet Tech Cafe. They don't just do social media. They can help you identify your brand through brand coaching. The founder is a CVPM with 15 years experience in veterinary practice management. They are a small business proudly serving the veterinary community, and we are thrilled to be working with them. Check them out at www.dogdaysconsulting.com. Hey, caffeinators. We would like to thank you for listening to the Vet Tech Cafe podcast today. As everybody is well aware by now, we often talk about difficult issues that face our profession. In addition, we chat with colleagues and leaders in our field who have strong opinions of these issues. Those opinions expressed by either Dave or Jeff as the hosts, or those opinions expressed by our guests, are their opinions alone and do not represent any other person, business, institution, or any other entity inside or outside of the scope of veterinary medicine. If you have any questions relating to this, please email us at vettechcafe at gmail.com or visit our website www.vettechcafe.com. Lastly, whatever platform you utilize to hear our dulcet tones, please rate and review our podcast and like and follow our Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn pages as well to see what we're up to. From all of us at the Vet Tech Cafe, have yourself a great day. Thank you.